0: look at the high risk group, 77% said that they experience high work volumes most of the time. Then another 74% indicated, quote, they feel there's too much work and too little time to get it done. So lack of time for reflection and creative activities. That 72% of that group said they were experiencing And then next on the list was a little or no downtime. And then finally, another 57% said that they were experiencing and feeling pressure to work harder and do more. What you see here is workloads that, that are overwhelming. Welcome to the Hackett Group's Business Acceleration Podcast. Week after week, you'll hear from top experts on how to avoid obstacles, manage detours, And celebrate milestones on the journey to world class performance.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Hackett Group's Business Acceleration Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Newfield, a senior director in our HR advisory practice. And today we'll be discussing our new research on how to reduce the risk of burnout among staff in business services roles, including HR, finance, procurement, IT, and global business services. I'm joined today by my colleague, Senior Research Director, Anthony DiRomaldo. Welcome to the podcast, Tony.
0: Hey, Amanda. Great to be here.
1: Fantastic. So, Tony, why don't you tell us a little bit about the rationale for doing this research on burnout risks and business services functions?
0: Sure. The topic of burnout uh, is something that we've been hearing a a lot and related well-being, hearing a lot about, uh, especially since the pandemic began. And now with return to office and and whatnot. But, you know, there hasn't been a lot of research specifically in the area of business services. I mean, there's a lot of research on the topic of burnout, but not as it applies to business services. So, you know, we at Hackett have a, a special focus on business services functions like finance, HR, IT, procurement, supply chain, and so on. And so we wanted to do a deeper dive in trying to understand what's been going on with that group. And what we found is that they are especially at risk for burnout for several reasons. First is these are often viewed as, quote, back office functions. And so they're treated as cost centers. And with that, they're always under pressure to do more with less and it's often hard to make a, a business case for investment in this area. So they tend to have quite a bit of a workload. And there's also, when we look as co- when COVID happened and the pandemic played out, uh, business services functions, uh, specifically HR, IT, procurement, and in particular, supply chain aspects of procurement. Uh it became very clear how essential these functions are. I mean they literally literally kept the business operating in many in many industries, and so you know there is a clear case for for making invest, investment in this area, but it's it's been neglected and and needs to be better understood and made more visible and so when we looked at this, we really wanted to try to understand. What are some of the drivers in organizations of burnout? Because a lot of what we hear about, you know, whether it's in the press or even in in a lot of the academic journals, certainly when we see out in the marketplace, a lot of activity and, quote, solutions that focus on individuals, right? Better nutrition, sleep better, mindfulness applications, you, you name it. All these things to try to mitigate the, the, the effects of, of burnout. And what we wanted to really understand is, okay, we recognize that individuals have a role to play, but what are some of the structural issues that are at the heart of you know many of of the burnout risks. There's not a lot of research on that, and that's what we we wanted to address in this uh, in this uh, research. So Amanda, that that kind of gives the you know the rationale for for why we did this research. I know your background. In addition to having many years experience in consulting, uh, you've also worked quite a bit in your career in HR. From your perspective, what what are some of the things you've seen in terms of the structural causes and contributors to burnout from your experience?
1: You know, I think when I think about it, one of the number one, I think, causes from a burnout perspective on the business services side is just the ever-increasing load of work without really thinking about increases in people in order to be able to take on those new tasks increases in budget or even just thinking about how we manage work and how we prioritize work differently I know within the HR area um, COVID really started to escalate the workload factor but even before COVID that was always a continual thing people were asking for HR to do more with less HR is often seen as a cost center there to support and those areas of the business that are truly helping the business to be successful in a lot of cases. Um, And so it kind of all contributes to this. We have to do more. We have to wear many, many hats, be able to perform uh, many different functions. And I think our research is really tracks to what I've personally experienced. You know, this picture of work overload, um, other factors that, just really set the context um, for burnout risk, for sure.
0: Interesting uh, perspective. So, so you're validating what the rationale for the study and and what we suspected as we got into this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think a lot of cases, we across business anticipated technology to really kind of help us dig out of the hole that we we'd gotten from a, a work. load perspective in a lot of cases we've had, but I think in some cases we may have gotten ahead of what the technology was ready to do and may have started to like cut in anticipation of where we thought we were going to get efficiencies from the technology, but the technology wasn't mature enough. So now we're kind of stuck in this place where we're slowly taking on new capabilities in our technology in order to be able to close the gaps. I know that, Tony, we recently surveyed over 500 business services professionals about their work environments. What did we learn about the potentials for burnouts
0: from that research? Yes, we learned a lot of very interesting facts. The core of what we asked about was we polled the participants and asked them to tell us how frequently they experienced 15 different specific stresses in their work environment. And we'll get into what what those were in a minute. But what at a very high level was quite interesting is what we found was 36% of the respondents were shown to experience uh, four or more of the stresses most of the time, which we believe puts them at high risk of of reaching a state of burnout. So finding number one, and it was quite, I think, uh, significant, is you've got more than a third that are in a state of high risk when it comes to burnout. Then we identified another 35% that said they experienced one to three of these stresses most of the time. And from our perspective, that puts them in, in what we'd say is a, a moderate risk of burnout category. And, you know, some burnout risk does loom for those moderates to a high extent. When we, when we look over all uh, the moderate and the high burnout risk, that represents 71% of business services professionals. So there's a lot of stress in the, in these jobs. And a majority are at least at a moderate, if not high risk for for burnout.
1: Wow, that's pretty impressive. What are we seeing as the most common drivers for that burnout risk experienced by business services professionals?
0: Well, you touched on one, and that is, uh, and this topped the list, high work volumes. When we look at the high risk group, for example, 77% said that they experience high work volumes most of the time. So that was top of the list. Then another 74% indicated, quote, they feel there is too much work and too little time to get it done and that they experience that most of the time. So those were the, the top two. And then there were a couple other that were cited by a significant number of the high-risk group. The first was the lack of time for reflection and creative activities. That 72% of that group said they were experiencing most of the time. And then next on the list was a little or no downtime, which 64% said they experienced most of the time. And then finally, another 57% said that they were experiencing and feeling pressure to work harder and do more most of the time. So what you see here is is I think all of those to some degree or directly reflect uh, workloads that that are in some cases overwhelming. And on top of this, 53% said that they have a uh, that they have a combination of work responsibilities and coaching others, right? And that indicates we've got a lot of overworked first line managers who often have to pick up the slack uh, you know, caused by just too much work and maybe not enough people to do to do that work. Those are the top of the list stressors that we identified for uh, the high-risk group. Amanda, why don't you speak to what we learned about, you know, some of the effects that this kind of environment has on business services uh, professionals, particularly, you know, those who are experiencing these kinds of stresses, you know, most of the time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and quite frankly, the effects, they're mostly negative. When you think about from a work productivity standpoint, a majority of the high burnout risk group is putting in more time and completing more work each day than even they did um, 12 months ago, which is astounding. I mean, some of that can be attributed to, you know, things like remote work where there's less kind of interruptions during the day, but there's still that kind of factor of, of being able to, uh, are doing more and definitely productivity doing more but some have even said that their engagement or 30 so about 36 percent and desire to stay with their employees or their employers has increased so we know from other research that these types of extreme jobs can be addictive and I can I could speak to that personally it's very easy to become addicted to to doing because you feel like the act of doing is, and the act of some type of productivity is value-added productivity, but in a lot of cases, um, it's not. And so um, these individuals, they're, they're basically demonstrating behaviors like classic workaholics, but are they delivering value-added work that's actually moving the needle for the organizations? They may actually not be. We also saw uh, that 32% experienced some type of decrease in engagement, and 38% say they were less willing than 12 months ago to remain with their current employer. So the thought of like being more tied to the, to the employer or not, it's almost like a, an abusive relationship in some cases. Like, do I stay with the devil that I know or do I go out and seek the devil that I may not know where I continue to be in this situation where I continue to be overloaded? And how do I even judge that? As far as expectations for the future, I think, this group's really kind of painting a depressing picture. Many, almost 45%, don't expect their situation to get any better. In fact, 38% expect it to get worse. So certainly are in a challenging time when we think about the effects and what that's doing for our workforce from both just a frontline employee perspective, but even, you know, from a leadership perspective, how does that play down and play out for um, the employees that our leaders are supporting?
0: Mm, so, th- this high workload, high pressure environment that many business services professionals are experiencing is really having some negative consequences on individuals and on the talent situation. I'm just curious, we've been hearing a lot about return to office and hybrid work and companies cracking down and wanting to bring people back in the office more often and so on. Does the research shed any light on how that impacts well-being?
1: Well, you know, where we asked respondents how working remotely versus in an office setting has affected their sense of well being, we definitely, you know, received a lot of positive input um, from that across all three groups, regardless of where they were at from a burnout risk level perspective. About 78 to 81% said working remotely positively impacted their well being. I and mean, when you think about it, that makes sense because regardless of where you're at from a burnout perspective, working in the office, has you know less perception around flexibility during the day and the environment is more conducive for focus and so and you're not you're avoiding time spent commuting and other and other efforts that you're doing throughout the day when you're in the office so that that makes sense from but working in an office does have some positive effect Um, particularly for the high burnout risk group, but 33% and 36% for the medium burnout risk group. I think what you're seeing there is just really these groups are highly challenged with managing their time without those natural interruptions that they had throughout the day. So, you know, being able to do stuff that can help them, Not necessarily be mindful, but be able to replicate some of those natural breaks that they receive throughout the day is impacting their burnout risk. You know, so far, we've spent all of our time talking about the problem. So what did we learn from respondents about what they would most like their employers to do that would help alleviate some of these stresses and help them avoid burnout?
0: Yeah, that's certainly a great question and one that we explicitly focused on in, in the research. And it was interesting that many of the recommendations that were made by respondents were related to improving how work gets done and the work environment rather than uh, increased wellness and well-being benefits like time off or well-being support like health family benefits or wellness apps or gym memberships whatever and so a few that were prominent across all of the groups uh, again we categorized in the high risk moderate risk and low risk of burnout transforming and streamlining work processes and deploying improved tech and enabling tools, they were in the top three in terms of recommended improvements that, uh, or recommended changes that would improve well-being and reduce the risk of burnout for all three groups. And for the high-risk group, the second thing they ranked was instituting meeting-free days which was suggested by 62% of the group. So clearly, (laughs) there's a lot of wasted time in their view in terms of meetings, and that uh, was one of the prominent recommendations. They also picked first uh, 66% transforming and streamlining the work processes, and 57% suggested that the organization increase the number of staff to perform the work, again, suggesting that there's more work than there is people to to get the work done. And then finally, after those recommendations, 53% indicated they wanted more uh, flexible working arrangements. So flexible work is a factor that many pointed to. And Uh, What I just mentioned in terms of those specific recommendations, we heard pretty much the same thing from the medium burnout risk group, although they rank them a little bit differently, but they were in their top five or six. So uh, I'd say taken together, what we're seeing is that if companies are going to make any real headway in reducing burnout risk, they've got to significantly attack uh, structural transformation of work and the work environment, and the supporting processes and tools that enable work to get done more, more effectively, and more productively. And you know, we of course have been hearing a heck of a lot these days about these new AI tools, like Gen AI, for example, and you know we've been doing other research in that area and it does have great promise but it is early days and so we haven't said yet seen enough deployment of tools in hr and we hope to study this over the next 6 to 12 months to get a better sense of how whether or not these tools can live up to to what we see as the potential to really automate a lot of the work overload that we've been talking about and whether or not that comes to fruition. And if it does, what impact that's going to have on burnout risk going forward. So, Amanda, we've been talking a lot about the topic of burnout and we're we're now getting, I think to to uh, the end of of some of our commentary. So I think it's a good time to wrap up the discussion with a few recommendations from uh, the research that we have for HR functional and business leaders for things they can do to create a work environment that is on the one hand consistently high performing, which we all need to be, but in an environment that doesn't endanger uh, the physical and mental well-being of staff. So what might you suggest from our research in terms of recommendations?
1: So I have two that I would offer. First is organizations should really start to collect data that will allow them to assess the state of well-being within their organizations. Identifying and proactively monitoring key Indicators of the physical and emotional state of employees will help organizations get ahead of issues that could impact their well-being, you know, and this is not just employee mood um, type of questions, but really starting to look at things like hours worked, hours worked past a certain certain time or outside of core business hours, weekends, time spent between vacation time taken but also really like including measures around trust with their managers and their organizational leaders, the ability to be able to raise concerns and satisfaction with benefits programs, engagement levels, turnover rates are all things that can be leveraged to really measure the state of well-being in the organization and start to look at where there may be pockets of A, overall transformation that could happen in order to care for well-being in the organization, or B, pretty targeted solutions that may may need to be taken in specific specific areas of the organization. Next is organizations really need to focus on making a business case for increasing well-being. It's important. Uh, Measuring health and productivity related costs and metrics such as absence, six days, medical costs, um, use of employee assistance programs. Those are all things that inversely come back and impact business and the business's bottom line. So being able to correlate the well-being metrics to these types of pieces of information um, and really truly showing the financial impacts on revenue and profit and cost um, are going to be important to get businesses' attention. Tori, what about you? What would you recommend HR business leaders do to reduce burnout
0: risk? Well, I'd say I have a couple uh, actions too to specifically. First is to to really try to address this workload and work overload situation that, that you were referencing earlier in the discussion and that you know was prominent across all of this research, um, really recalibrating and understanding and recalibrating the workloads and expectations that we're seeing in, in these functions. And, you know, what that really requires is measuring and assessing how much work, the distribution of work, you know, and, and how this matches up with the, with the resources and having more of a, a sense of, you know, how sustainable is this? You know, are we just pushing people beyond the capacity? B- because again, we're, we're trying to keep down costs Trying to push up productivity and use our our scarce resources as productively as possible, but we see the impacts of this when it becomes overwhelming. To the things that you were pointing to, the the impact on engagement, the impact on on turnover, and so on. There are real costs to that, and so we we've got to really understand how workloads work and are contributing to that and and do a better job of of allocating work and matching work levels to capacity you know whether it be at an individual level or you know at team level so that would be one thing i think the other thing is and we hear this heard this loud and clear from the participants is is really continue to make significant investments in work transformation right simplifying streamlining integrating and automating particularly the routine stuff aspects of work processes as much as as possible and that requires also actively identifying and and removing drivers of of burnout you know from the work environment and again a lot of them have to do with you know the work itself and how it's organized broken processes fragmented processes Uh, Those kinds of things that maybe are not so visible from the outside, but the people who were doing the work uh, are acutely aware of them. And uh, some senior level attention and some investment in the right solutions is often can go quite a a long way in solving some of those things. And then finally, I just add uh, as a part of the, the work transformation is building in a little bit more downtime for people so that they can spend time recharging or even engage in some of the more creative aspects of their work with which uh, people find often uh, energizing so those are the things that i would would recommend
1: excellent you know and that's about all the time we have left thanks tony so much for the fantastic and fascinating discussion today Listeners, um, you can learn more about our HR um, benchmarking, advisory, and transformation offerings by visiting our website. Thanks for joining us today.
0: Thanks for listening. You can find the audio, helpful resources, and a transcript of each episode at podcast.thehackagroup.com. If you liked this episode, please share it. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. We'd welcome your feedback by tapping the rating on this or any episode, or send us an email at podcast at The Hackett Group is a global leader in defining and enabling world-class performance. Learn how we can assist with your improvement journey at www.thehacketgroup.com.